few things I want to let you know before we get jumping into the sermon. Um, this week has been a really great week as we have gotten to talk and experience and, and visit with people through the storm and the contents of the storm and all the things that come with it. And, and I want to let you know of a few things that have been happening, some to do with the rain and some not to do with the rain. Um, th this week has been a week where God has just allowed me to pay attention. Maybe that's the key, pay attention to what's going on and what's happening in our community and in our, our world. Start off last weekend, we had a group of ladies go to Austin for the ladies retreat. We heard about that and God just looked like he poured into some families in an amazing way. And then Monday, we had a group of about 50 of our senior adults head out to Branson on a trip. And on, on this trip, they got to stay in community and build community and, and really be reminded of the joy that God created when the church comes together. That's the, the whole point of, of our fellowship that we're reminded of. And, and then later on this week, I had uh, one of our, part of our church family called and said, listen, my son's neighbor had a tree fall off and, and, and land on her garage. She can't get her car out of the garage and she's a widow. Uh, what, what can we do to help? And note to self, I am the least power tool trained person in the world. Right? If you're on the side of the road, call me, I'll call AAA and we'll take care of you, right? It's an amazing thing. So, so I just put out a quick little word to the men and women in our life groups and said, hey, anyone that's be willing to help out. And let me tell you what happened. Friday afternoon, we had a, a small group of men show up and in about an hour and a half had this huge tree taken care of, blessed this lady here in our community that no one was connected to. It was just a, uh, my neighbor, my son's neighbor's, you know, tree fell on their house kind of thing. And to see the church rise up and to come together like that, it's, it's been, been wild. And I could just go for stories on stories. In fact, this coming, not this today, but next Sunday, um, next week, uh, we're going to be having one of our church members as a, as a doctor. And he's going to be giving out flu shots just to raise money for kids to be able to go to camp and get saturated with the Lord. And just, it's amazing to see the church be the church. And I, and I can't tell you how incredible that is for me to be able to be a part of a church where you just get be, you're able to see the Lord just growing and blessing and, and investing uh, in his his plan through our body. And so I just need to brag on you guys uh, for a while. It's been an amazing week for me to step back and, and look at what's happening. Um, if you have your Bible, we're, we're going to be kind of sort of talking about that or not at all, uh, actually. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, we're going to be talking about uh, the Christian's walk. Or, or the Christian's gate. It's funny, I was reading this passage of Scripture as I was preparing for our softball game. We have two softball games coming up this week, I think 6.30 and 7.30, if you want to come out to Friendswood Sports Fields and, and know what joy is. Watching us play is joyful, regardless of what happens. We win fantastically and we lose even better. It's incredible. But, but last week, I, I have a problem. I don't know if you've noticed this problem with you, but, but in the, the midst of things... Um, we, we're playing softball, and I'm on first base, and I'm not a softball player. I played soccer. Um, I mean, I played uh, swimming growing up and played soccer a little bit when I was younger, but never, never did any of this softball stuff. So I, I just don't, not good at it. So I'm playing first, and I catch this ball in my glove. It was great. And then I realized there's a guy that was on first that now has to run back, and I can run back. And then something amazing happens. I don't know if this ever happened to you. I took a step, and my knee just said, not today, David. Has that ever happened to you? 
He's like, you're running, your mind says, go get him. And your knee says, I'm just taking a party break right now. It just gives out and I roll. I roll. And this happens regularly, sadly, with me. Just sometimes my knee, it doesn't hurt. It just stops. It just, just takes a break. And so it was funny. So the next inning I go up, and whether I walk or, or hit the ball, it doesn't matter. I got on base, right? It's, it's, we don't take count. So I got on base, and, and it may have been Omar hits behind me. He hits the ball slightly harder than I do. And, and it goes out, and I'm, I'm running, and I'm taking third, and I'm coming home. And I feel my knee just like, whoo. But I didn't roll, praise Jesus. I touched base. And one of our members said, you almost fell again, didn't you? I said, I said, could you tell? He said, well, the way you were running was like this, and then it was like this. <laughs> I said, it did, it did. You know, it's amazing what we can tell about someone by their walk or by their gait. Right? I mean, that's what we, we call their stride. I, do you have friends that you can see them across the world and you'll know them by the way they walk? Do you, do you have friends like that guy? I watch Connor when he plays soccer. He has a very specific kind of, of, of run. And I can tell, man, I just watch why I'm, he's running. That's, that's my son or, or whatnot. Some people, if you're a people watcher, stalker, <clears throat> observer like myself, some people take short steps, you know? This is, this is their deal. Other people, I don't know how you do it, but you like cover 18 feet. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. But let me tell you what I've learned about our, our gait and our walk. That all, we may have different gaits, but, but really what we're doing often impacts how we're walking, right? You know, outside, we run as hard and as fast as we can. I watch kids play soccer, and they're going hard and fast. Do you know what happens when a soccer player plays basketball in a gym? They're like all the time falling. Their, their toes catching. It's not sliding. Grass gives a little bit. Floor doesn't give. They're tripping and stumbling. You know, a basketball player's walk is very different than, than a soccer player's. Do you know a sprinter runs very different than a long-distance person? Their gait is very different. One, you're, you're on your toes and, and you're kicking it. The other one, you're, you're pacing yourself out. A gate often tells us a lot about what someone is going through, about what they're doing, or where they're headed. And I want you to know, I believe scripturally, a Christian's gait, a Christian's walk, is obvious and different than the walk of everyone else around us. Or, biblically, that's what God calls us to. We, we, we don't have the same stride as the rest of the world. We, we're not to endure life the same way the rest of the world does. We're not supposed to blend in. If you thought Jesus Christ was to help you blend in, you chose wrong. Because Jesus Christ makes you stand out. He, he's the reason that your walk, when a loved one's passed away, has hope instead of destruction. It's the, the reason that victories of a friend excite you just as much as yourself it's the reason that that your love drives you beyond what's best for you to take care of someone else's need it's it's a christian's gate looks different and, and you might be thinking this morning what does that mean how does that look well let's look in your bible at philippians chapter 3 verse 12 through 16 we'll read and then we'll pause there for just a minute 
Because this first part of Philippians kind of gives us the 50,000 foot view. If you have to leave in 10 minutes, you will get the basic understanding of what God calls us to, how he calls us to walk. And then the next 20 minutes after that, we'll talk about some of the details of it. But, but we can look in this verse 12 through verse 16, 16 and find out a lot. The Bible says this, Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what be lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. If any, in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. In these first few verses, we have kind of three segments of what's different. If you want to know what does it mean to walk, my walk with you in Christ, and, and this is key. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, if you have confessed him as your Savior and your Lord, I've had that conversation twice this week already, there's a difference, okay? To confess Jesus as your Savior means I believe you are able to save me. To confess him as your Lord means and I submit my life to your mastery for the rest of my time, for all eternity. To be a Christian means that you have confessed him as your Savior, you believe he is who he is, and he can do what he can do, and you've confessed him as your Lord, you've surrendered. The demons have done half of that. The Bible says that demons believe and shudder, but they have not confessed him as Lord. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess him as Lord, and that'll be the wrong time for the latecomers to do that, but that's a whole different other show. We're on the same page. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is directly applicable to you now and every step you take out the door. If you aren't sure or if you haven't confessed that relationship with Jesus Christ yet, I want you to listen to what God is calling people to through his son, Jesus Christ. And I want you to, to ask, Jesus Christ, are you calling me to you that way too? The answer is yes, he is. The, the real question is, will you surrender? All right? So since I've gotten my preaching out of the way, let's go back to preaching, okay? We see this big picture of a Christian walk. Look all the way back to verse 12 and 13 again. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead a, a christian walk is one that is lived neglecting and stretching a christian walk neglects and stretch if you just want to know what what does that mean what does that look like paul says this is, we can't miss it and we're going to lose a little bit in our language so i'm going to paint a picture for you a little bit when paul's speaking and writing verse 12 it, in there it says but one thing I do, and my Bible has a colon in it right there. It just kind of gives it to it. The, the Greek word here is a picture. It's, it's really Paul showing this emotion. It's almost like if he was talking to you and he was saying, listen, not that I've already obtained this, I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. 
Brothers, I don't consider that I've made it my own, but this one thing I do, and it's almost like the passion of Christ is choking him up in this moment. I forget what is behind. The Greek word is the word we get our word amnesia from. He says, I'm going to neglect everything behind me. You see, in Christ, you are free from your past. You're, you're not to obliterate it. God, God didn't, didn't blow it up, and, and you can now pretend you never did any of those things. There's, that's no, not at all what the picture is. The picture is that Christ has freed you. He's freed you from, from the law. He's freed you from the sin of your past. He's freed you from the depths of your, your greatest demons, those things that are impossible to confess. He's also freed you from what happened yesterday, the, the victories that would overwhelm you or, or call you to stall and say, I just want that moment. The Bible says, and Christ, you neglect what's behind you and you strain for what Christ has put before you. Because you know what's better, what's before you is better than the best that you experienced yesterday or the worst that you voluntarily participated in a month ago, a year ago, a lifetime ago. I can't tell you, we, we, could, we could just camp here forever. Jesus says the man who puts his hand to the plow and looks back says unworthy of, of what's ahead. If you're captivated by either how good you've been or how bad of a job you've done, you've taken your eye off the goal, what Christ has called you to. You, you get condemned by yourself. Have you ever condemned yourself? Have you ever said, Jesus, I need to clean these things up before I come to you? Have you ever said, Jesus, I, I tried to walk with you, but my sin, I just can't forgive myself, and therefore I won't let you forgive me either. Paul says in a Christian walk, it's not pretending that I've never done. It's, it's making sure that those things that Christ has taken care of in my life does not influence the way I strain for him moving forward. Now are you with me? Yesterday is not meant to hinder you from tomorrow. Yesterday isn't mean to influence you, to hold you back from straining with everything you've got for tomorrow, for the goal of Christ. That's how a Christian should walk, not allowing the sin, the troubles, or, or the pride of yesterday to get in our way the second thing the bible says this it goes into verse 14 follow me here it says this so therefore i press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of god in christ jesus a christian walk isn't just one that neglects and stretches it's one that is a determined pursuit it is it is a determined pursuit like no matter what I'm going to go after this. No matter what comes in my way, no matter what tells me I won't make it, I won't win, I am straining towards, the Bible says, the goal for the prize. I, I'm, I'm determined not to stretch away from it. Church, your children, they shouldn't deter you. 
Your, 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 your enemies, they shouldn't deter you. The hindrances, the roadblocks in your way, they don't, they don't sway you. Nothing draws you off of this determined path in Christ Jesus. And then you might say, what is the goal? What is the prize? Here's what I love about verse 14. It doesn't say. Here's what it says. I press on toward the goal of the pri- for, the pri- of the, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The call is what we're running towards. We're not living our lives so at the end we get a prize. Can I, you know, have you, you ever had any school fundraisers pop into your life? As a parent, I just want to tell my kids, how much do you need not to approach anyone with this stuff? You ever been there? And don't be wrong, we, we buy and, and we know how it works. It's just hard sometimes as a parent. You've been there with me. How many how many Christmas bags do you need or how much wrapping paper can you get at our house there's never enough but but I you know how's this work and if you sell 700 million dollars worth of wrapping paper we're going to give you a light ball like Pastor David had earlier right he's just if you work it's like oh I remember that I remember my kids like dad I just really want this I just I need to sell seven things because I really want pizza day or, or whatever we're, we're going for see the Bible says that our call in Christ is different. We're not working towards the light ball. We're not ter- working towards a discount. He, he doesn't lay it out for us here. We, we get a picture and revelation of what heaven is. We, we get these ideas, but the reality is what we are determined to follow is the call of Christ. And that is different. That is different when you look at world religions between Christianity and the world. I was reading about different religions this past week, and, and they all have a worldly nugget perfected as their prize. From reincarnation into something more perfect, to death with a more perfect, more beautiful spouse or concubine. It's a worldly prize shined up and put next to Jesus. The Bible says the Christian walk is different. It is a determined pursuit that follows the voice of our God. Wherever he leads, I'll go. If it looks dirty and miry, I'm there. If heaven, and it is not, if heaven were a swamp, if that is where the Lord is, that's what I'm living for because I am not living for a gift or a prize. I am living for the prize that is the call of Jesus Christ, that is God through my Lord. That's what a Christian lives for. It's different. And and that should play itself out. And how we live, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, we aren't living for grandness. We're living for the grand one. The Bible says that a Christian neglects and stretches, that a Christian lives and walks with a determined pursuit, holding loosely the prizes of this world, pursuing as to win the prize of heaven, which is the call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15 and 16. Therefore, let those, excuse me, let those of us who are mature think this way. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. That, that, that last part, let us hold 
true to what we have attained. It's, it's this idea of confidence and security. A Christian walk will continually secure your own position. Isn't that funny? It's that constant confidence. It's not looking for security in the world. The Bible says, no, let the mature think this way. If you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you. Let us only hold true to what we have attained, to what we have. In other words, everything that God reveals to you, hold on to. God isn't saying, put my stuff versus the measuring stick of the world and see how much I can look like them. God is not imitating creation. Creation is imitating the Lord. You see, and what Scripture says is, you hold tight to what God said. He said, but you know what? I know this guy. He calls himself a Christian. And you should see the way that he talks, walks, speaks to his wife, talks to his children. You know what? I went by this church one day. And you should feel the way that they did this. God says, a Christian, when you walk, you do not compare the Almighty God to a fallen men. You hold tightly to what you have attained in Him, which is His revelation. I think all too often we're tempted to think the Christian walk lived in community, which is correct, is one where we measure the reality of God against the immaturity of men. That's not the Christian walk. That's the spin room. What Scripture says is is a Christian walk neglects and stretches, is a determined pursuit based on the voice, the Word of God. And holds tight to everything that God has revealed to them. Everything they've obtained in their relationship with God. Because they know, we know, that that is what helps us endure the storms. That is what makes us walk into the storms for. That is what makes us not afraid. This is the Christian walk. The Bible goes a little bit further. Paul doesn't want us to to miss the details. Look in your Bible in verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many whom I have often told you are now, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and the glory in their shame. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul says this. You need to know the difference between the Christian walk and the unchristian walk, the ungodly walk. You need to know the difference between the mature in Christ and the immature who are struggling with the idea of Christ. It's amazing. He's choked up in what Jesus has rescued him from. And and when he says, I will neglect what's behind, I will forget what's behind. And, And then he says, there are some that are enemies of the cross. There are some that are enemies of the cross and and their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. Let me put these together for you for time. Their God is their belly means that self-satisfaction rules them. And their glory is their shame means that they just prop up perversions in their life. That's what an enemy of the cross does. An enemy of the cross is someone who doesn't want 
Jesus, who doesn't want salvation, who doesn't want to confess sin, who doesn't, who doesn't desire that an enemy of the cross is someone who's determined that their own destiny in their own hands is better than salvation through anyone else's. Sometimes it's an affront. Sometimes it's sneaky. Just read the news today. Let me, let me tell you what's happened. Christianity is being called immoral right now by enemies of the cross. And, and not in a hypocritical way. This is the strangest thing. It's so very different than maybe what I grew up in 30 years ago or 25 years ago. In Christ, the enemies of the cross are saying that the cross itself is immoral. It's, it's immoral to view life through Scripture. That's immoral. It, it's, it's immoral to view a husband-wife relationship through Scripture. That's immoral. It, it's, it's immoral. It's immoral to let God define our identity. Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Our relationships, our eternity. That's immoral. It's a very different approach than ever before. The truth is the enemy of the cross, if you live and claim Jesus Christ, are going to call you immoral because of Jesus. And you have to determine if you want to be in the hands of the ever-loving Savior or in good relationship with a fallen kingdom. Because the enemies of the cross no longer are just trying to talk about hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the norm. The enemies of the cross, their God is their belly. Self-satisfaction. What do I need? What do I want? What can I have? How hard do I need to work? When do I need to stop working? Listen, when, when do I need to, to retire? When do I need to start it? What kind of job do I want to get? How do I want to serve the Lord? How, how am I going to do that? How am I just filling the blank? When the answer always comes back to what I want most, that's making your belly your God. When, when you and I or anyone... When their whole terminology, when their whole point is, is themselves and their view of X, Y, and Z, that's self-fulfillment. That's self-satisfaction. It says not only that, but they glory in their shame. An enemy of the cross is someone who not only rejects the grace of Jesus Christ, but puts out tent poles and calls them good. They glory in their shame. It's not quiet. They, they glory in the way that, you know what? Relationships, they're about me, not about you. So if I have five wives, 15 husbands, or a mix of both, what is it to you? I'll show you and be proud of it. No, nothing is private anymore. Not my words, not what I see, not what I do, not what I look into. We, we glory in shameful things. We're redefining Scripture. We were reading some church covenants the other day. Redefining Scripture and being proud of it. Church, these are marks of those who are enemies of the cross. And, and, and the enemy of the cross isn't because the cross has attacked them. It's because the cross has exposed them. 
just like he exposed me. Because while I was still an enemy of the cross, died, Jesus died for me. While you, if you claim Christ, were an enemy of the cross, Christ died for you. And it's either a life preserver or it's condemnation because when someone throws you a life preserver it means they think you need help and if you don't think you need help and you're drowning you have to leave me alone I learned this in, in lifeguarding as a child if someone's drowning you have to ask them as a lifeguard can I help you can I save you if they say no you have to wait till they black out and then you can ask again no joke and if they don't respond you get to take it as a yes and you can't get sued you have to wait till they're almost dead or maybe till it's too late if they shake off permission the bible says the enemy of the cross have seen the life-saving preserver of jesus christ and it has condemned them they have rejected it because it has told them their God that they've worshipped, their shame that they've surround themselves is insufficient and they need to be rescued from it. Church, your God is insufficient if he's not Jesus Christ and your shame is not a life preserver. Just because more people jump in to drown with you doesn't make it right. The Bible then goes and he, he gives this picture, but our citizenship is in heaven. Verse 20 and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to his feet. In other words, we're very different. Paul goes on in the beginning of chapter 4 to talk about a story. It looks like two, two ladies are, are, are in the church. And, and they're having some kind of problem. And Paul says, hey, listen, you need to have this same mind. You need to be in agreement with each other. He's not telling Christians you need to be exactly the same as one another. God made you individual and unique. But we should run the same lane together. A mature believer walks and acts like Christ. Same mind. It may appear different. Now check this out. This is what the Bible says. So what, we know the markers of what someone not walking in Christ looks like. What are the specific markers? What things can I say, Lord, bear this fruit in me? We'll read it all at one time. The Bible says this, start in verse 4 of chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, letting letting your request be made known to God. And let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the peace of God will be with you. Christian, do you want to know how the practice of godliness works, how you are to work out your faith with fear and trembling. Chapter 4, verse 4, just starts it off by saying this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. A Christian is one who responds in a reasonable way. In other words, with an appropriate reaction. 
a, a Christian church, part of our Christian walk, overreaction should not be a part of our makeup. We, we shouldn't be an extremist in our response. I remember Connor as a child, he had his bicycle. And you know these things about bicycles, they have these rubber handles on them. And over time, do you know what happens with rubber handles? The metal sticks out the side. Has that ever happened to you? And he was putting up his bike when he was little. And we had just bought a, a, a new-to-us car. And he's rolling the bike between the two cars. And what's he doing? Oh, my Lord, have mercy on my soul. Reasonableness. How will he see Jesus and his dad? I can't believe you. You're worthless. Is that going to show him Christ? Reasonableness. Or is reasonableness, whoa, 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 hey, buddy. I know you don't know what you're doing, but you're killing me on the inside. You know, whatever. Is your response reasonable? Is it reasonable when you're at the restaurant and the waitress is taking a long time? Is, is it reasonable when you're driving down the road when someone walks in the door? Is it reasonable when someone has a bumper sticker of the guy you didn't vote for in the last election? Is it reasonable? Or do you condemn them in the moment? Is it reasonable? In other words, is it measured in Christ-likeness? The Bible says a Christian's walk. If you want to know, start practicing now. It's reasonable. It's measured. The Bible goes a little bit further and it says, listen to this. It says, the Lord is at hand. It says, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your next two fill in the blanks are, a Christian walk is one filled and fueled by prayer, and one that is guarded by the peace of God. It's, it's one that's bathed in prayer and guarded by the peace of God. The reality is, is that prayer is the way that a believer makes sure that his line, his life is aligned underneath his Lord. That's what prayer is. If you're, if you're an unpraying Christian, then you're not being subject to the Lord. You're not, you're not inviting him into your life to align it with his. You're not asking him of his word. He says that we approach him in prayer with thanksgiving, with, with this heart of, of expectant believing. And then it says, and then the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the beauty of this. Is that when we align as our walk with God, our life in prayer, the Bible says that the peace of God becomes at work in our life. Let me tell you what, we are raising, we are in one of the most unreasonable times in history, at least in my lifetime, and how we're talking about one another. And, and peace seems like it's non-existent. It seems like peace is becoming a, a bygone word all over again, like it's becoming a, an afterthought. Let me tell you a crazy idea of why you and I as Christians need to have a life in prayer. I, I heard this quote this week. I had to check it to make sure it was true and accurate. It was quoted in Psychology Today. It said, the average teenager is living with the same amount of anxiety as a psychiatric patient in the 1950s. Committed. A psychiatric patient. 
Parents, are they seeing you walk with a Christian walk and your gait in reasonableness? Are, are they witnessing a prayer life that guards their family through thick and thin time and the peace of God sets on their mom, their dad, their grandparents beyond you? I don't know that our kids have seen the Christian walk. Our community has seen the Christian walk. Why is the suicide rate skyrocketing? Why are children acting the way that they do? And why, why are young adults throwing their lives away? Maybe they have no idea what the peace of God is. Now check this out. You can't give someone the peace of God. But you, as a Christ follower, in your Christian walk, neglecting and reaching, determined following the call. You can walk in Christ so that the mind of Christ is the one that you respond in. The will of God is the one that you know because His peace is resting on you. And when the world is falling apart for them, Jesus Christ is saying through you to them, hey, you keep your eye on me. You hold on to the things God has revealed in you, son. And as he shows you more, you hold on to more. But until you get it, I'm right here with you. It's okay. Because Jesus Christ is already at our guard. This is how a Christian walks. Note, note to self. Church, what if you and I flooded social media with a Christian walk instead of the worldly walk with the name Jesus tattooed above it? I believe the peace of God would infuriate the enemies of the cross and it would beckon people to salvation. The Bible says what is, whatever is pure, whatever is holy... Whatever is true, what is honorable, whatever is just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent. Think on these things. A Christian walk is, is one where your mind and my mind is saturated by the thoughts of God. It's saturated. I'm an obsessor. I know what saturation feels like. But, but Scripture says a Christian walk... The specific details is that you let the Lord and the things that cry out about God saturate your mind. When you're driving down the road, is the Lord saturating your mind? Are you seeing Him at work all over the place? Or are you just looking about, man, that car, that's really dark, or I'm going to be in traffic. You see, the world declares the glory of God, Romans chapter 1. There's, there's not a thing that doesn't declare something about the greatness of God the Bible says, dwell on the things that declare His glory. The world says this, M means mature. In other words, if you're mature enough, you can let anything saturate your mind and handle it because you're an adult. Hey, note to self, it's literally the technique of brainwashing. So, so here's the question. How do you want your, your brain washed? With the blood of Jesus Christ who died for you and gave His life up for you. Or with the images of self-satisfaction and propped up perversion. That's the Christian walk versus the world. And I'm telling you, church, 
we have to be devoted. We have to be driven. Because the Christian walk is getting slammed by a mudslide. And I believe, even in this room, that there are many of you who walk and know Jesus Christ and your mind is being saturated with everything but the cross. And you're wondering why it feels like death. Church, you weren't made to walk and look the same. You were made to be different. You were made to make, be made fun of. You were made to be shamed. You were made to be rejected by a dying enemy trying to grab something at his last breath because you were made for victory. You were made to dine at the table of the king in the presence of your enemies, Psalm 23. You were made for life to the full. A Christian walk is not a life in Christ one day. It's Christ is life today. You were made for him. Let's pray together. Father God, when we come to you knowing and believing Lord, not that we are waging a war. The Bible tells us, God, that you go before us. There is no battle that we walk into that's not already won. Lord, Lord, the screams are the screams of the dying. The threats are the threats of the powerless. So God, let us not act like the dead when you have raised us to life. Let us neglect what is behind us. You have left that death behind us. You've called us up out of the grave. So we stand next to you now. Father God, Lord, this morning there are men and women who were in the same place that I was in all those years ago, dead and dying on the battlefield. But through your grace, a Christian walking a different life, shared the good news of Christ, salvation and victory, and you called me out of the grave. You helped me stand with you, Lord. And so now the life I live, I live by faith. And the Son of God who gave his life for me, God, let our walk look different. Father God, let our walk be clear. Let your reasonableness shine through. Let it be a testimony let prayer define us and your peace overwhelm us. Lord, let our thoughts neglect. Oh, Father God, what Ephesians 5 calls the filth, the unwholesome things of this world. Father God, this morning, let repentance fill this place. Let joy and the call of God be loud. And let that invitation be clear. In Jesus' name. Amen.